would please follow in the reading of the Word of God, chapter 10, verse 7 through 18. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself, that is, that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which God gave for the building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God appointed to us as the measure to reach even as far as you. But we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were first to come even as far as you in the gospel." Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved but he whom the Lord commends. Father, we come before you to ask you to teach us. Father, to show us the wonder of this text, to show us the amazement of our brother Paul, the path that he sets before each of us, and the dangers that lie all around us. Father, let us fight the good fight. Let us keep the faith, and let us understand that there's crowns of righteousness for us and all who hear. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name, amen. We are looking at this section, like I said, 10, chapter 10 through the end of the book is dealing with the false accusers that were in the church in Corinth. If you break the book down, first nine chapters dealt with the, the righteous of the congregation in Corinth. Now he's coming face to face with what I call spiritual warfare, because uh, we see a lot of things that Hollywood has tried to tell us is spiritual warfare, and it's not. Spiritual warfare is speculation and lofty things raised up against God. That's all it is. I, I have watched people spend more time concerned about what Satan's going to do than what God is doing. Yeah, I remember a lady one time when we were downtown and she told me that I was surrounded by a bunch of angels and if she, if I would like, she would help me to instruct and in how to control the angels. And I kindly looked at her and says, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. And uh, her response was, but you have so many around you that you would be quite beneficial if you could control the angels. And I says, well, I actually know their boss and uh, I would leave it at that. I, I look at spiritual warfare because it's, it's a battle for the minds. 
It's, it's a battle for the thoughts and the conscience of individuals. That's spiritual warfare. The only thing that defeats that is the truth of God. And there are times when you bring the truth of God, the response isn't exactly what you planned. And the Apostle Paul is showing us this. But we're in a section here now, in 7 through 18. How do I know the true man of God? Okay? Because I hate to break the news to you. We are up to our eyeballs in false. I mean, I I could spend days and days telling you by name the false. And it would take me that long. Because uh, we are in an age that is, is quite different than ever before. We have mass printings of literature. Uh, we have mass communications in the media. And now we have the inerrant internet. And anything that's on the internet, you know is truth. Okay? And, 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 and so you have that battle and you are inundated constantly with minutia that has absolutely no point nor purpose nor backing it up. It has always been a problem in the body of Christ to know Christ's true messenger. This church was founded by the Apostle Paul. When he had left, men had come in behind him. And all they do is sow a seed of doubt. I only have to sow a seed. Okay? And then you can watch it grow as they'll start gathering allies. And as they gather allies, then you end up with a mutiny. Where if I can discredit or cause you to doubt that messenger then you don't have to listen to his words. The Apostle Paul was speaking on behalf of Christ, and yet this problem has always existed in the body of Christ. Truth spreads today on the same platform that error does. But what I have found is very few people can discern the difference. Let me give you a a really close, quick incident. There is a plethora, I love that word, a plethora of books of people who've died and have gone to heaven and played and then came back to tell us how much fun it was. Okay, Uh, there's a kid going around making all the TV circuits right now who died when he was five or six or something. I don't know. He's just a little kid. And he went to heaven. He hung out with Jesus. And he's back here telling us how cool a place it is. All right. And everybody's like, oh, bravo, bravo, bravo. Okay, and they're ecstatic about it. And, And this is one of many, 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 many books. Okay, I have a problem. Hebrews 10. It is given unto man to die, but for you it's twice? What, are you privileged? You see what I mean? And yet we, we stand in line. Now, I remember getting a CD from a friend where the guy went to hell and came back and told me what it was like on the CD. And I liked that one. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in it, but it scared the bejesus out of this guy. Okay? 
But see, that's the stuff that's going on today. And the church just sits there and goes, well, yeah, that's right. Truth and error are on the same platforms. And yet so many won't hold it up. And, and, and it's, they don't discern. We have been called. Jesus told us to discern that false prophets will arise from among us. Discern that wheat and terror will be, tares will be sown in among the wheat by Satan. Discern. And there's wide opportunity in our time for the false to grow and expand. We are in a season of quote unquote tolerance. We are in a season where we want to be unified at the cost of truth. We are in a season that negates truth. And whatever you believe is just fine. I remember speaking at the Southern Baptist Convention that there are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. There are multiple applications. And you would have thought I was a heretic. I had people furious with me. And I said... Who made you the editor of God's holy word? In the first letter to the Corinthians that we have, known as 1 Corinthians, you see what the false reap. Paul says, your worship service, the lost will come in and think you're insane. It was chaotic. It was chaotic. And what you will find is, is that when the false are in and they get some roots in, they will attack the true teachers and they want to cause the people to doubt the true teachers. And of course, the true teacher all of a sudden is now horribly divisive. Right? And what I've learned is anytime you confront a person's sin, they will think you're being divisive. Paul understood this battle. He did not fight it for his sake or his honor. Okay, a true teacher will not battle for his sake or his honor. He battles for the honor of Christ who is truth. We've been looking at this. How can I know a true man of God versus a false? Verse 7, his relationship to Christ. Okay, he says you're looking at the things... As they are outwardly. He says, look at the, basically the context of the Greek says, you need to look right in front of your face at the evidence. That's what you need to look. All right. I have seen men under attack in my past that when their only defense is compare the fruit. Here's the fruit of the accuser. Here's the fruit of the one being accused. Look at that. So the evidence is there. The false teacher, he uses a a singular there. This person, probably the ringleader, probably the guy who kind of headed up the coalition to be against Paul there in verse 7. He says he is Christ. So that's fine. He says he is Christ. It's funny because Paul doesn't deny that, but he says, if he's Christ, who am I? If he is Christ, I am so. We are so. Meaning those who are with the Apostle Paul. Second thing you'll see on a true man of God is verse 8. Okay. The Lord gave him this ministry for what? 
building up the church. I see many in ministry today that are not building up the church. They are building themselves up. Okay? I get nervous when a man says he's an evangelist and he's not associated with a church. Okay? That bothers me. All right? Why? Because he says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stop it. He doesn't say he'll build up your individual ministry. If the man is not associated with a body of evangelical fundamentalist believers, who's he associated with? He will strengthen the church. That will be his goal. That will be his focus. That will be his passion. Is for the strengthening of the saints. Verse 9 tells us that he has compassion for the people. How many say they are servants of Christ and could give a flying flip about the individual saints? Listen, I have been in the ministry long enough to know that some saints are like porcupines. Cute as a button, don't pet it. Okay? They are just a thorn. But God puts them there because He says, I want you to know this ain't you. The only way you're going to love this person is the divine intervention. All right? And, And that's one of the things that you and I have got to be so aware of. Do you have a compassion for the people? And I'll give you the easiest barometer to see your compassion for the people. How often do you pray for them by name? Because you know what? I I tell people, you will never reach the lost if you're not willing to pray for them. Now, we have a group on Sunday night. We get together and we had a, we called it our hit list that God, these people are in our lives. They're not saved. And we're praying that if you can use us to reach these people, then you do it. Now, I quit doing it because everybody I prayed for died. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is going south on me here. Okay, so I I kind of, you know, I'll, I'm praying for the sanctification of the saints, and I'm not sure about adding to the numbers. Okay, so, but you've got to be willing to do that. Can I pray for these people? If you can't pray for these people, what do they mean to you? Because that is the most intimate relationship that you can have, is laying a person on the altar before Christ at the throne of God. That's passion. That's compassion. So he has compassion for the people. And then I want to look at verse 10 today. The true man of God is known by his disdain for fleshly methods. His disdain for fleshly methods. Verse 10 says, For they say, that's New American Standard Translation. The Greek can actually be translated, For they say, or he says, or it is said, if he says. Okay? What I'm seeing in this text is that he's quoting the person not named in verse 7. The one who says he is confident he is Christ. It's an individual who believes he is the grand poobah of spiritual things. Who has brought the seed of doubt against the Apostle Paul. Who has brought the accusations against the Apostle Paul. So he's quoting the spokesman. Now he's going to be getting specific. And I like this because this letter 
will be read in front of the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was read in front of the congregation. The severe letter that we do not have was read in front of the congregation. This letter would be read in front of the congregation. And when he mentions this individual, everybody in the congregation is going to say, I know who he's talking about. Okay? And it's right there in front of you. Okay? It is possible, just for you guys who like to plan ahead, this is possible that in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, this is the individual who is a thorn in Paul's flesh. A messenger from... So he even gets more pointed in chapter 12. Now remember, they're going to read this in front of the congregation. And everybody's going to say, you know, Bob where Paul says he's a messenger of Satan. This person would have his allies. And here's what they say. And, and it's, it's fascinating to me because it is in the essence of human nature that you're about to step into. Okay, look what it says here. For they say, this group, the allies, this ringleader, this messenger of Satan, his letters are weighty and strong. Well, duh. I mean, you know what? Even the false can't deny that, right? I mean, what is he going to say? Well, we think he's just full of it. They can't say nothing. They, you believe that they could discredit his writings? I mean, a severe letter had the church repent. How can I discredit that? His letters are weighty. They are mighty. They are strong. They don't have anything else to say. That is undeniable. You can read it now. I can read it in public arenas right now and see the power of Paul's writings. Go read publicly to a group the role of a woman and watch the power of Paul's words. All right? I mean, it, that's simple. It's simple. This being read in front of the congregation, there's no question about the power of his writings. Okay? There's no question about the clarity of Paul's writing. I watch people do spiritual yoga to try to make Paul's writings say something that they don't. His Paul's writings were rational. They were spiritually accurate. Okay, so even the false accusers can't argue the power of God's truth. They had force, they had conviction, they were felt, and they were seen. And the false knew that. Okay, so they knew better than to try to deny his writings. Right? His letters are weighty. Dude's got some stuff going down when he's got the pen in hand. All right? But, okay, here's how the subtlety of the false is. His personal pres presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. They agree to the power of his letters. But watch what they do. He is unimpressive. He ain't much to look at. 
now they're digging straight at the person of the Apostle Paul. Now, I've read some extra writings, uh, historical writings, that I cannot validate about the Apostle Paul. Okay, But people, different writers and authors, during the time of Paul's ministry, allegedly they met him, and they um, are not real flattering about him. He, they said he was below average height, very short, bald. And one lady said he had a very hooked nose. And I thought, wow, that's courteous. Now, the one thing that I can tell you that is biblically true, he was hard on the eyes. Okay, here's why. If you've been stoned and left for dead, you're not going to be that much fun to look at. I mean, it's not like you can go to the plastic surgeon and say, can you touch up these marks? All right. So you can say for sure that the Apostle Paul would have had just a little bit of tough looking at him. All right. He was unimpressive, uh, unimpressive, it says. How can you be hard to look at and draw people to you? Paul didn't have it, and he was criticized for it. Remember this also. His second visit, they shamed him. Possibly this person here that he's speaking directly to. They shamed him, and no one came to his defense. He was heartbroken. He was shattered. And what did he do? He left town crushed. He didn't defend himself. He slid out of town. Why? They could look at him and say, see, he can't take it. This is, how can that be a great leader? He can't take an embarrassing circumstance. He's not a great leader. So they're going to criticize him on how he looks and he has no leadership ability. Why? He ran like a scared rabbit out of town when we confronted him. Okay? When you see the word speaks there, his speech is contemptible. That's basically lining up with his leadership style. How does his leadership work? Well, if you start out in chapter 10, verse 1, how did he come to him? I urge you by my meekness. And gentleness, my meekness and my humility. That ain't a powerful leader. How can that be a powerful leader? How is that a dominant personality? He didn't want to deal with the issue, so he slunk out of town. They would have, he, he doesn't have what it takes to take charge. You know what we look for. A natural born leader. And this guy's hard to even look at, let alone follow. How could he lead? How can you take a person who you can't, who's not physically appealing to look at, and yet he comes in humility and meekness and gentleness, and he's squishy. He's not a natural born leader. I mean, his weight, his letters, wow, they carry some stuff. But he's not really much fun to follow. Look at him. How could a person like this 
compel people. How could he lead? How could he be sent by Christ in such an earthen vessel? He doesn't inspire. And his personality doesn't draw people. How will they follow his lead? I mean, just look at him. He doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't have a power or authority. And let me tell you something. That today is the Gentile world. You go look at the ones we call the great leaders. And what are they? Orators. They talk. And they have something about their charismatic. Uh, go read uh, some of the people who were influenced by Adolf Hitler early in his rise to political power. People were attracted to him. He had charisma. He could speak. Go look at the people. Go look at the people that we exalt as great, quote-unquote, leaders. And what were they? Something to look at? And they could uh, speak. Great speaking. It hasn't changed. It's been around for a long time. When I think about it, Jesus warned us about the Gentile world. In Matthew 20, verse 25, he says this, But Jesus called them to himself and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. What do we got going on today in 2014? The people that we believe are great are what? Pow, pow. That's a powerful personality. I hear it today when pastors tell me about people that they've set under and all the rest of it. Powerful speaker. Powerful speaker. Need to have him come. He's a powerful speaker. I don't want a powerful speaker. I want a godly speaker. It was based on dominance. Why? Let me buffalo them. I can give them enough that they can't get through it. Wow, that's amazing. Listen, you're in a time of Caesar when this letter's being written. What was Caesar? A dictator. They believed he was deity. What was his leadership style? I will make a proclamation, and if you do not agree with it, then you will feel my power. Listen, the pagan world, the leader was dominating by power. You know, it's one of the things, you know, when I think about, we're just celebrating our independence from what? A dominating power. They told us what we could eat, when we could eat it, how much we paid for it, and you couldn't own nothing. We were one of the few countries, our country set the standard for personal property ownership. Nobody had it until America came forward. Do you understand that? Why? It was always under a dominating personality. What is it today? I mean, they used to get on George W. Bush because he did talk like he was from Texas. You know, I remember visiting Russia and they said, I said, they said, well, what do you think about your president? I said, I thought he should be taller. And they said, well, he's a cowboy. And I'm like, duh. He has a cattle ranch. Why? Well, he seems like a cowboy. 
Alright. He must be because he talks like one. I, I don't understand. But see, we get into this on, well, they can't really turn a phrase. Well, you know what? I have been under a number of different political leaders who could, and I wouldn't trust them for nothing. Because all they do is talk. Okay, I would rather see somebody lead. Okay, take the role and lead it. All right, because see, what happens to you and I today, and we start looking at spiritual leadership, we want to see that personality, are they pleasing to look at, can they make me laugh, and do I feel inspired to follow them? Listen, I don't want anybody following me. Okay, I don't. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. They promise and they impose, and it's easy to wield their sword when they do that. And what they will do is grab the authority and they will exercise the authority. Once you give them a break, once you give them the opening that they can take control, they're going to. They're absolutely going to. Paul came in meekness and gentleness. He came very quiet and humbly. He was not dominating. He was not controlling. He was not lording it. He did not come with intellectual skill. Um, Linsky called it, Paul did not have verbal awe. I've had people who in my messages, they'll come back and say, well, you know, you hung two participles together. I don't know what a participle is. And the thing is, if they hung together, it must have worked. Okay, but I'm sitting there thinking, I'm showing you the deep things of God, and you're worried about participles? Do you see what I mean? Why? Well, you, you, you just don't talk right. No, you listen wrong. Okay? Verbal all. Okay, I see people who want intellectual skill. They want personality. Paul didn't have any of that. Where is the impressive person? Where is the powerful character? Doesn't have anything to move the people. How do you sway the people? How do you inspire the people? You know, he's, he's got that weak and passive personality. Who wants to follow that? See, because we need natural born leaders. Leadership is strong. That natural leader, that dominating personality, it can take control. Remember when it came out? He doesn't have any gravitas. What the heck is that? You're hanging two participles together, ain't you? Because if he's meek and he's gentle, then he doesn't have any confidence. He's not dominating. Why? They're attacking Paul on his fleshly inadequacies. His speaking is contemptible. He is no orator. We still to this day want somebody who can turn a phrase. How do you, you sway a person if you're not a powerful speaker? How do you move the people? How do you manipulate the people? How do you redirect? 
See, one of the great things in the Greek culture at the time of this letter is rhetoric. You know what that is? Debating. Debating. Let me be able to pin you down in my debates. They despised Paul's speaking. Why? He wasn't a debater. He says, thus saith the Lord. What are you going to debate? See, Paul, he's he's not helping the people. All he ever talks about is the cross of Christ and Christ and him crucified. How does that help me? In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul in this letter says, He came only boasting in the Lord. Boasting in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, He did not come with superiority of speech. He did not come as a great orator. He came to the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and in trembling. He didn't come with human wisdom. He did not come with human expertise. He did not come with human oratory. He did not come with human debating. He came in humility. He came in weakness. And that was the Apostle Paul. Listen, all you have to do now is turn it on the opposite side. And what do you have in the false? They come with human wisdom. They come with human expertise. They come with human speaking. They come with human debating. They come with pride. They come with arrogance. The false will and have used that to feel criticism and to discredit. I remember speaking at a conference down in Albuquerque a couple of years ago. And a big crowd, big, big, huge place. Full of people. And one of the, I was looking through the stuff and cause I, you know, I was alright, when do I speak and what am I supposed to, and I'm just going through my little list here and I'm seeing who the speaker is and I look down and there's a guy going to be preaching named Billy Graham. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> do I go before or after Billy Graham? <laughs> because that's, that, I don't want to do no part of that. And all of a sudden, Wayne, my buddy, was having a conference. He comes over and says, I want to introduce you to Billy Graham. And I was like, yeah, geez. So we walk into this little room, and here's this little dwarf guy crippled up in a wheelchair named Billy Graham. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you were taller. And, and we talked, and he, he kind of had a, had a terrible speech impediment. I mean, it was hard to understand, you know, what he was saying to us. And so we decided, okay, he was getting ready to go and we would pray. (laughs) And so we prayed for this guy. And so we take his little wheelchair, we rolls him up on the stage. And this thing's way up. And I was like, boy, I hope they put the brake on him. I hate to see him roll off the front of that. And so he said, he's up there, and all of a sudden he says, can we pray? And all of a sudden it became so clear and evident that God had taken over this empty container and filled it up with stuff that you couldn't believe. And then when he got done, he spoke, and it was, it was massive and powerful. And then when he got done, he went back to kind of stuttering and kind of drawing out his... And I'm sitting there going, dude, that's God's stuff going on right there. Paul was no great speaker. Paul was no great leader. You know, I, I guess the thing that I would look at at the Apostle Paul as I, I look at it, knowing that I, I don't really know what he looked like, but I can tell you this, there was nothing flashy about Paul. Okay? 
I mean, there, he didn't have anything that he could put his confidence in himself. There was no charisma. There was no charm. There was nothing about the Apostle Paul fleshly that would move or motivate people. Because when I look at the Apostle Paul, he fails every pattern that the world demands. Every single one. That the world says, this is successful, this is powerful, this is moving. Paul didn't have any of it. See, what the world sees as a great leader, Paul don't fit. Remember what they said about Jesus? There was nothing that you would be attracted to. There was nothing that just caught your eye. But when he spoke, the comment was, he doesn't speak like any teacher. Nah, he was the authority of truth. He doesn't have to be a teacher like a teacher. The Greeks in the time of the Apostle Paul, as today, you know what they worship? Human eloquence. Human eloquence. Paul was just plain. Paul was not polished. Paul had absolutely nothing to attract people. Had no way that he could charm the hearer. Okay? Today, in so many evangelical churches, so many charm the ear. Did you know that? And you know what's amazing is? They'll charm the ear without ever touching the heart. And that's why you see the church in the condition that it is. The Apostle Paul came in meekness. The Apostle Paul came in gentleness. The Apostle Paul came in simple words. And all his message was, was the proclaiming of the cross of Jesus Christ. There was no human wisdom. No flattering speech. So many today would do the same to Paul as they did in his time. They would laugh at him. You have got to be kidding me. The false, the accusers of the Apostle Paul, are what I call slick speakers. Smooth. Slick personalities. Charming. Dominating personality. I've heard of a dozen different times speaking of pastors. He can just take over a room when he walks in. What the heck is that? I don't even know what that means. He took over a room? Church has always had to endure this. Uh, what I call uh, self-appointed stars. I, and, and let me tell you about it. A number of years ago, it was before I became the senior pastor of this church, Riverside Baptist was having guest speakers on a, almost a weekly basis. One of the guest speakers was Dr. MacArthur. And he came up, and um, there was about 70 of us showed up for it. Okay, now, it didn't bother me because we had a wonderful question and answer time. Okay, but he delivered a message in the power that I am, and anybody that's listened to Dr. MacArthur is accustomed to. Okay, but about 70 of us. I mean, it was in their worship area. 
We could all basically sit on the front row. Okay? The following week, Ebb from Green Acres showed up. Uh, If you don't know Green Acres, then don't worry about it. But uh, he's, he's a believer. Do you know that they had four buildings of overflow viewing with big screens for him to tell Christian jokes? Really? What's wrong with that picture? Well, that's the one that touches the ear. Well, that's funny. Okay? And I see this a lot. I I, I have seen it so many times that they are personalities and they're loud and they take control and they charismatic and all this other stuff and just make you all happy all over and they never ever touch the heart polished tongues and they draw people to their slick personalities and you know what they do they move the people with manipulating words that have absolutely no effect on the soul Not Paul. Not God's true man. Not God's true messenger. Those who speak for the Lord. Those who are God's spokesmen. They speak clearly. And they speak simply. So. The true man of God is known one. By his relationship to Christ. Two. His impact on the body of Christ. The church. The true man of God is known by his compassion For the people, but the true man of God is also known for his disdain for fleshly methods. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our Apostle Paul. And Father, that even the impact that he's having on the world today, uh, so many years after his death. Father, I pray. I pray that everybody here today will discern, will pay attention, will listen closely, and look for the people who have a close relationship to you, have an impact on the body of Christ, your church, have a compassion for the people, and disdain the fleshly fleshly methods. Help us, Lord. Help us run this race that is before us and not be entangled. To your glory and praise. Amen.